0: Good morning, friends. Jimmy here, and welcome to the tail end of another round of our series, God Only Knows, where it's such an important season and rhythm in the life of our church, where we're listening into what God is saying with local leaders in local communities. And so throughout this month, maybe you've been tuning in to just the live stream and uh, hearing from like People here, or you've been hearing from people there, and we've been so encouraged to hear stories of how God is weaving our stories together. How we're learning to listen, to 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 be more like Jesus, to act more like Jesus, and to learn more about Jesus. And today is no exception. And so I'm here with my friend, Sister Jenny. Not her official title yet, but Jenny. Who are you? Why are you here? Where are you from?
1: Well, I do have siblings, so it could be formal. Could be. Sister yep. Jenny to three people in the world. <laughs> um, thanks, Jimmy. I'm here. Because you invited me, <laughs> but um, I'm a staff member at the Meeting House site in Ottawa. I've been there 14 years. I love our community there. Shout outs to Ottawa. Ken Chan, I am sure you're on the chat. Hello <laughs> to you. A uh, longtime friend and community peer in Ottawa. I'm here because I love Jesus. I think that's the simplest way. And because I am excited to have the chance to share part of why, what I've been learning about that recently. So we're going to
0: jump in, give you the mic, give you the floor. What would you say is like the... the 30 second version the like pebble in your shoe as you have either listened through this series or mm. in your prep for this morning
1: well um i'm talking about romans 14 and i'm talking about spiritual practices they are not a traditional pairing of topic and passage but they just kept coming up so i'm excited to share why
0: excellent okay mm-hmm. jump in i'm gonna turn it over to jenny it's gonna be great you're gonna love it over to you
1: awesome i will scoot over yep
0: i'll move this stuff
1: thank you all right hello hello I am a mother, so I'm going to start with that. And two years ago, that became true. Before that, I was not, and now I am. I gave birth to my daughter. Two, She's two years old now, um, but at the time when she was born, she was nine pounds and nine ounces, which, if you're a person who has given birth, might make you wince a little. Uh, it was intense. Let's just say that. It was, I'm grateful for... Professional help. It was not a home birth. That wasn't. That wasn't for me. Um, but, that meant that I needed some time to recover. Of course, um, everybody was safe. I'm grateful for that. But I'm three months later. I experienced my first advent as a mother, and it's a time when you don't have a lot of time to yourself, which means you don't have a, t- a lot of time to think your own thoughts to yourself, and so. A couple of things combined. I was healing postpartum, a journey in and of itself. I was taking iron supplements, something that's helpful for both mother and baby, especially during breastfeeding. And I was breastfeeding and that meant that my whole body, this is a miraculous, I didn't know about this, but bodies do what they need to do. It's amazing. Um, everything slows down, your digestive system slows down so that your body can absorb as many nutrients as possible mostly for the baby's benefit, hopefully a little bit for mine. There is a repercussion of all of these factors, the iron, the slow digestive system, the postpartum healing in delicate regions. And that meant, I'm just gonna say this succinctly, morning bathroom visits were slow. I had never experienced constipation, I will say that once and once only, ever. And so I'm grateful for that, but this was a new experience for me. And it was it was challenging. I had to be very gentle. I had to be very present with my body and I had to be patient. And this was not convenient as a new mother. And I developed a rhythm of being gentle, just taking that time. But I would say to my husband, okay, wink, it's that, it's that time of morning. I just need to take a few minutes by myself in the washroom, in the bathroom, depending on what you say, restroom, if we're from other places. And I would be alone. My husband would make sure everything was fine with our daughter. Um, and I spent some time there. And then Advent rolled around, and I was in this rhythm of, you know, a few minutes to myself every day. And a book came out from an Instagram account that I love and follow and has fed into my spiritual formation. Scott the Painter, known legally as Scott Erickson, but if you want to look him up on Instagram, recommend. And he brought, he um, had a book come out called Honest Advent, which I I just felt inspired to read it, so I ordered it, got it delivered. It was COVID, so, you know, you're not browsing bookstores in December 2020. And I would take the time that I was in the bathroom every morning to read one chapter. This was a a book broken down into 24 chapters for the days of December leading up to Christmas. And that was my Advent practice that year. And I'm 36. Of all the Advents I've experienced, that was the most beautiful for me. It was non-traditional, it was painful physically, it was gentle spiritually, Um, and the book Honest Advent is something I hadn't seen as much in Advent material, so human, not just sacred and divine, but also very direct and honest, and human is the best word I can think of for that. And the thing I learned, and maybe didn't learn newly, but was really solidified for me there, was that sacred and secular, often paired as opposites or a dichotomy, are not a dichotomy for God. God, anything can be sacred, anything can be filled with God, anything can be glorifying to God, with a few principles in place that I'll talk about in a couple of minutes. But that experience for me, that December, I felt like, and part of this was now I had given birth and so I, you know, had a lot more empathy for Mary and some of the other experiences that she would have had that the Bible doesn't go into detail about. But I felt like God was really with me. We talk about Emmanuel. We talk about God with us in this season. God with us is a phrase that I say very easily. I hear very easily. But when I really experienced sitting by myself on that porcelain throne not being comfortable but having this this gentle experience of god's presence and togetherness in the middle of that non-traditionally sacred setting Uh, it was so nourishing is the best word i can think of and so i've thought about that every christmas since then and throughout the years and as i see scott the painter's posts memories of this come up and i have spent the past year and a half learning a lot about spiritual practices. I'm taking part-time courses in spiritual formation. Shout outs to Cohort I at Emmaus. Um, I've learned so much from you guys. Thank you. And it's been really, it's been eye-opening for me. My background is not very liturgical. Um, My background is not very spiritual practiced, Formal, there's not a lot of that there. And so it has been so exciting to almost uncover another layer of ways that Jesus, God, the Holy Spirit have designed for us to interact, to grow, and to learn. And so, um, God with us, I want to highlight, and this is on the first slide, means this might be obvious, but God with us, God with us in everything, God with us in the mess of being human, God with us in the beauty of being image bearers. In his name and reflectors of qualities that he's gifted us with. And Romans eight thirty-five to 39 speaks to nothing being able to separate us from God. It talks about famine, it talks about who can separate us from God, no one, it talks about sickness, health, all very human experiences and very bodily experiences. You can't have famine without hunger, without a stomach, without a tummy as we say to my daughter. Um, you can't have sickness without a body to feel that, and so I was sitting through this Romans eight and thinking nothing can separate us from God God with us is so ingrained we can't we can't find a place that he is not and I think about the Easter story he even went the furthest place from God and came back and I that's not the that's not the sermon so I'll leave that for another time but what is our response to that God with us ness and A passage that has been percolating and percolating and percolating for me over the past couple of years is Mark 12, verses 30 to 31, which talks about the greatest commandment being love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. What I love about that is it's not just all your mind. My inclination in my faith journey is to think through things a lot and to think about things a lot, but I am learning to love a lot and to feel compassion and to have empathy and to relate and to not always need to understand with my mind or I'm learning in my body how to be still how to be gentle what does that feel like how do how do I live that how do I act out justice and love and not just think about it or have empathy but move towards those things so all of this leads me into spiritual practices which Fun fact is a pretty tough to define term. Some people call them disciplines. Some of them are rhythms. Somebody I I knew called them spiritual delights because they filled her with such joy. That may or may not be your experience. Um, but spiritual practices, you saw some definitions in the quotes. The the common thread that keeps coming through um, that I I've talked about in some of my classes as well is that they're spaces for the Holy Spirit to form us. They're not Efforts that we make and then achieve some level unlocking. I think that's a thing in video games. This is not my world. (laughs) But they are spaces where the Holy Spirit, we make space and we invite them into our space. Where, frankly, they already are. God is already with us in the mess. Emmanuel, God with us. But that makes space for us to be changed, to be able to know God more, to love God more to be more Christ-like and not just for our own sakes, but for the sake of others. So the next slide, I have three words um, that show, that talk about three factors that help define a spiritual practice because what I've been learning is that it can be anything. It can be sitting in the bathroom in the morning reading, which as I'm talking about, I realize might just be a normal practice for many of you. And that's awesome. But for me, I was kind of a get in, get out kind of lady. Uh, I learned the art of reading in that season. But spiritual practices can be as seemingly mundane as folding laundry, looking into the beauty of something being dirty, being made clean again, being made dirty again, being made clean again. You could think about the slant of hospitality and the gift it is if your laundry doing is for others. There's, There's so much richness in almost every part of life, but how do we figure that out? How do we not just say anything and everything is a spiritual practice, but how do we be thoughtful and have some boundaries around that. Chris spoke about guardrails in the first week of God Only Knows and the first, sorry slide people, the first one is intention. I want to talk about intention. When you are considering a spiritual practice and there are many formal ones, prayer, scripture reading, etc. I'll talk about a few more later but intention is what are you doing and why are you doing it? So if you're is your laundry folding? Is your sitting in the bathroom in the morning just because it needs to get done? Or is it something that you're bringing to God and saying, here's what I am doing. Here's what I have to offer right now. Please, please be in this space with me. I'm here. I'm listening. The second one is attention. And this means that you are being deliberate and present, which I think we all know are challenges and are busy. Multi screen, multi activity, beautiful and exciting lives, but being able to still and slow ourselves to being present and deliberately only in one mental space or heart space at a time is really important. Even when physical space, this message is going to be in a few different places at once, and that's kind of an interesting way to think about presence. Um, Repetition is the last one, and this is. The, that a spiritual practice needs to not just be intentional, focused with attention, but also not a one-time thing. We are cyclical. We are so cyclical. Every part of our being, our cells, you know, they don't just grow and then you've got the same cells for the rest of your life. There's like a turnover. There is hunger. It comes and it goes. It's never, you don't eat one croissant, bada boom, bada bing. You are full for life. There's sleep. There's Even the seasons are cyclical. There's so much, anyway, there's so much about us that is repetitive. And I think all of these are clues to pointing that we don't do something once and then expect that to fulfill that need. And so spiritual practices for that space, because God doesn't always work in the timing that we want. He works in the timing that I think is best for us, but that we may not understand. And that will mean that you need to be doing something in an ongoing way, And that might mean it's regular. That might mean that it's regular for a season. And then you might shift and reassess in a new season. But it needs to be continuous and not something that's one and done. So let's, from practices, spiritual practices to Romans 14, I want to set the stage a little bit in what is the feeling of this passage? Why is Paul writing these words to these people? And if you have been... In a church setting maybe I'm gonna say ever before you've probably heard about the idea of the old law and the new covenant and the difference being one was very structured very black and white the the old covenant was crisp if you want to read Leviticus you're gonna get a lot of information on details of what to do what not to do and that is a space that is potentially comfortable because the rules are very clear it's also very easy to judge because it's like you're either, you know, if you're doing the thing or not, you know, if somebody's doing the thing or not. It's very clear. In the New Covenant, all of that gets umbrellaed, let's say, under the law of love God, love others. And then there's discernment, which is an amazing word and a complicated idea and a challenging activity. And discernment means that you get to take this overarching idea, love God, love others, and put everything else you do, everything else you decide through that lens or through that litmus test and figure out, not just by yourself, with community. That's a huge part of this. I think we always lean towards the individual. That's our culture, that's our history. But to discern is what I'm doing, is how I'm feeling, is what I'm thinking, loving God and loving others. And so the Romans, are fresh in this new covenant like first generation experiencing it it's uncomfortable because it's not as clear it's an easier place to judge people because you're like why didn't you just do this way i would have done it this way there's not a well it's it's easier to judge maybe both long story short humans are good at judging and god keeps reminding us to step back from that but the romans as i was thinking about this i was i think a lot when i'm driving when i'm taking transit when i'm walking And I thought, what if all of the traffic laws, the old covenant, got removed, and then the new covenant was love other cars as you love your own car? How comfortable would you feel on the road, on the sidewalk, as a cyclist? Um, We got a slide of what I suspect might occur here and there. This occurs with all the laws, with all the clear rules. And then the next slide is of a pedestrian crossing, Shibuya Scramble Crossing in Japan. I've been there. Up to 3,000 people can pass through this thing in one time. It's one of those intersections where um, all of the traffic stops and every single pedestrian light goes green and you can go any which way you want to get to any corner you need. And so this is a bit of an example of the scramble of everybody discern for yourself. Everybody's going where they need to go, but nobody wants to get run into, nobody wants to collide with anybody else, and they don't, for the most part. I'm sure if there's some phone users, it gets dicey, but this image, as I thought about car crashes and the discomfort of love other cars as you love your own car, I thought, there's actually an example in our world where, and other places have scramble crossings, I know Young and Dundas started this a number of years ago, which was pretty fun, Shadows to Toronto, but it is possible to discern, to have group discernment, but it's risky. Lisa spoke last week about the risk, how how joy generally comes not just out of comfortable and easy circumstances, but risk is often associated with that. And so to dive into Romans 14, I'm not going to read the whole passage, but please do, because I'm speaking to the themes throughout. It's 23 verses. And the home church questions encourage you to read that. So if you are gonna be at a home church, I love home church. Home church has formed me dramatically over the past 14 years of my time at The Meeting House. I'm such a huge fan. If you find a group and you get that space of just being yourself with people that also value growing, loving like Jesus, it's such a gift. It's imperfect, it's messy, it's human, and God is there. So that's my quick home church plug. Um, but to move, move along to the passage, the first line of Romans 14 is accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. This just stuck with me without quarreling over disputable matters. This passage is saying disputable matters exist. Our faith, our ways of being a faith community together are not going to be black and white. There are some non-disputables. Let's say Jesus. I feel We can probably all agree on that, but we know there are so many different denominations. There's so many different ways of doing. Each of our sites have unique characteristics. Each home church, each person walking with Jesus has little differences, and some of them might all be beautiful and good, but some of them create friction as we try to figure out what is good, what is not good, and is it either or, or is it sometimes that there's different kinds of good, which I know is very risky, to talk about and to figure out. And this is where community can be so helpful. We'll talk a bit later about God being and needing to be the largest voice in those personal discernments, but community being a buffer and almost its own measure for how we are confident that we're not, you know, just you and God and then boom, you feel like that's good enough. So then you do your thing. Anyway, back to the beginning of the chapter. I'm jumping ahead because I'm excited about it. Um, But the next verse talks about one person's faith allowing them to eat anything. One person's faith holds them back from eating meat. One person's faith regards a certain day as holy. Another person feels like all days are the same. These are, interestingly enough, I think spiritual practices. Offering space to God. Thinking about what you eat and saying, God, I am giving you this space of consuming food and I want to honor you with these actions. I want to be formed by you with these actions. And this is the best way I've discerned that's possible. And so the second major point, I read one commentary on this chapter and it divided the whole chapter up into don't judge each other, indisputable matters, and then don't stumble each other, indisputable matters. And so the first one, basically verses one to 12-ish, you can, and maybe you can do this at home church, you can count how many places it says, do not judge, Do not treat each other with contempt. Who are you to judge? Why do you treat them with contempt? There's an invitation there. It's not just don't do this, there's questions. Why do you do that? Reflect on where that's coming from. Do you want to feel better then? Is it because it's coming from a place of love? Is it coming from a place of fear? You're worried about being wrong? Um, You really want to be right? We all know that feeling. It feels so good, but that's not the core commandment in love God, love others. So don't judge each other in disputable matters. And I want to highlight, don't judge doesn't mean step back, hands away, I don't care what you're doing, everyone do your own thing. It means in your heart, have grace for each other. This first half of the passage also speaks to verse three. It says, um, God has accepted them all. God has accepted all of the different offerings, all of the different disputable matters, all of the different spiritual practices, that the Romans are doing with good intention for God, and He's so gracious with them. And so I think our our challenge is to not, not just not judge, but extend grace and give the benefit of the doubt, assume that our family members, our siblings in Christ are all doing their best, and they may grow, you may grow. I will for sure, hopefully, with prayer and the Holy Spirit grow and, we just need to give each other space for that. The next idea about don't stumble each other, as I sat on this, the idea of internal and external came up. So not only are we called to not judge each other, which can mostly be an internal process, our actions, our external representation of, of what we think and feel and discern, needs to not cause stumbling to each other. And Then the, I'm just going to pop along a bit because I see that time is what it is, but in the not stumbling each other, which is a way of acting out of love. So if what you're doing is causing somebody else to stumble, step back, even if you feel so sure that it's right. Paul twice talks about verse 14 and verse uh, 20. He says, I'm convinced all food is clean, or I am fully, fully persuaded in Jesus. All food is clean. But even still, if it's causing your brother or sister or sibling in Christ to stumble, don't do it. That's not enough. Being personally convinced is not enough. So the last, God is top influencer, is the last point here. Second last, what am I thinking? And verses 22 and 23 talk about whatever you believe about these things. Another clue that there's discernment empowering here. Whatever you believe, disputable matters exist. Um, Keep between yourself and God at first I thought, what about community? Where's community in this? And as I sat in it, I realized or I felt the lesson surfacing that God needs to be the biggest, loudest voice as you discern. And then love needs to be the measure that helps you understand what that's like in community. So if you feel between you and God that every day is equal, or if you feel really strongly between you and God that one day needs to be marked as holy in particular ways and that's the spiritual practice you offer, then let that loud voice speaking into that be God and sit, sit before God in that and be willing for that to shift and grow. But then if that conclusion that you have currently hurts another brother or sister or sibling, if that is affecting the people in your community and it's, and it's stumbling them, confusing them, then step back. Love needs to be the thing that ultimately measures whether or not what you're doing is loving God and loving others, and it needs to be both. To try and wrap up, I have asked in the, you'll notice in the notes, I've asked, where have you, and then bracket individual, made space for the Holy Spirit to form you? And where have you, plural, made space for the Holy Spirit to form you? I'm a bit of a language nerd. I love words, and you, in English, is a fun word that can be plural or individual, but I asked this question because as I typed it out and realized it could be interpreted both ways, I wanted to highlight that because I want us to always remember everything we learn, everything we, we grow in, that we marinate, um, I, I never want it to be just for ourselves. I think it's, again, easy to slant that way. That's how our whole culture is wired, but when we think about where am I making space for the Holy Spirit? That's never the full story. I ask in one of the home church huddle questions, where are maybe you and your huddle? Where's there space for you together to participate in a spiritual practice, to make space for the Holy Spirit to form you for the purpose of loving God and loving others? The last question I have there is, where is God with us with you? We are in week one of Advent. Happy Advent. I'm sure that's not the liturgical greeting, but I like to say it. Advent week one is about hope. It's about God fulfilling his promises through the birth of Jesus. It's about anticipation, looking back at the prophecies, and I like to call them clues about what that will be like, what God with us will be like through Jesus. And this is an amazing season for spiritual practices. If you have pink and purple candles, you're already there. Those are the Advent candles. Um, You can Google that if you don't know what that means. It's not the traditional Christmas colors, but they're fun. But I want to ask, where is God with us with you? Where have you maybe not seen God with us previously because you've thought, oh, that's the bathroom. That's like healing from birth. That is something that is just human and somehow spiritually neutral. I don't think there is a spiritually neutral. God is everywhere. God can be anywhere. God is like, he's so, he loves us so much. He's so excited to be with us and he already is. And it's sometimes just opening your eyes and saying, I'm chopping some vegetables. It's not what I consider to be spiritual, but Lord, thank you for this food. My mind, my hands are busy and my mind is available. My heart is available. Or it might be that you're, you know, having a tough time with colleagues at work and your spiritual practice might be that you take a moment, you set an alarm and you say, God, relationships matter more than being right, than promotions, than whatever it is. And so I encourage you to chat through that with, God as your top influencer, but I encourage you to bring that to the safe, trusted, Jesus-centered people in your life and discern. And it will grow and it will shift and it will probably be uncomfortable at times, like the traffic analogy, like Lisa talked about with risk and joy. As Laura mentioned, we're fragile. That is how we're designed and it's beautiful. Um, I want to highlight a couple of books I threw in the teaching notes. There's a spiritual disciplines handbook with 75 spiritual disciplines in there that I have found it brings joy to my soul to see so much variety and think and there are so many more if we look at applying intention attention and repetition to the ways that we invite the Holy Spirit to form us Lord I love this community and you love this community so many of us love this community and we're in a we're in a tough season and we're in a joyful season of Christmas anticipation and a church season of lots of disputable matters, lots of non-disputable matters, and lots of disputing about what is disputable and what is not. There's so much irony there. And I pray for grace. I pray that you would gift us with, with so much abundance of your love and your patience and your discernment as we all do our best to honor you and have that look a little bit different from each other sometimes and have that look aligned with each other sometimes but i pray that you would that you would bestow us with unity and not worry about uniformity all these things in your beautiful name amen